Alright, so this morning we're back in Genesis chapter 8 after our brief hiatus last week. Um, the title of today's message is God Remembered Noah. God Remembered Noah. Uh, if we remember correctly, Noah and his family and all the animals. I just want to say, I'm glad to be here with you guys. You guys are all a blessing. I don't take it lightly. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. I love it. But Noah and his family and all the animals uh, that didn't live in the water, as we saw, were taken on board. Noah didn't take, he didn't take a whale, you know. Whales just swam somewhere else, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, there's a practicality in that. Um, not taking too much on yourself. But the flood waters, they prevailed for 150 days. Uh, that's a long time, as we'll see in a little bit. But, you know, I'm not sure what the surface features of the earth were beforehand. We don't know how high the mountains were. We don't know how deep the valleys were. Uh, we don't know what the land looked like, but I guarantee it was different. You know, anytime you get water in anything, it changes things. You know, uh, water over time will over. I don't know if you guys remember that dam that was going to fail in California last year. It began to fail, and they were uh, letting over, letting it overflow through the emergency spillway. The emergency spillway wore away, and so they had to like let it overflow, like this total backup thing, of, like washing away the woods. And they were really afraid that the whole thing was going to collapse. Uh, within like you know, inches, you know, it was just almost a miracle that this thing didn't collapse, but water is a lot of power to so I guarantee that whatever the earth looked like beforehand uh, was different. Um, but water covered everything as we saw, and it was more than by uh, a few feet, you know, that there was no way that anybody could have kept walking, kept climbing to get to the highest mountain peak and kind of said, oh, you know, I'll hang out here for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, there's, even if they could bring food with them, uh, everything was covered. You know, they might have been able to hang on to something for a little while, but you've seen, like, footage of tsunamis and stuff. Even when the water is low, it's powerful. Uh, you're not really floating and hanging on to anything. Um, you know, everything was underwater at this time. Uh, but Noah and his family, they were still in that boat. Um, and again, you know, I don't know how you think of the flood, but I, in my mind, I guess I just, I just never pictured it as, like, that much of a turmoil, just the boat floating on top. You think of, like, you know, the kid's toy, the ark floating. But I imagine it wasn't that gentle, you know. Um, probably pretty rough with all the water sloshing around and everything. Maybe it started to, to smooth out towards the end, but um, you know, I've ever seen footage of like those boats in open seas and the water and the waves and the white caps um, during the storm. It, it probably was uh, not a lot of fun for those 40 days. And again, you know, I can't say for sure, the Bible doesn't say, but I can imagine, you know, boats have bilge pumps and then try and pump the water out. I'm sure that there was something going on there. Maybe there was, I don't know. I mean, I know God had them do a good job. They spent a lot of time on it, but you know, I have to wonder, were they trying to patch leaks? Were they trying to keep water out? Was, what was it like on board during this time? You know, I'm sure God was with them, but um, with that, you know, maybe it wasn't as, you know, just a cruise. Maybe there was more to it than that. But with that, you know, do you think that they felt like God had forgotten about them? You know, at least once, you know, maybe once, maybe it was two in the night. Maybe something was going on. Maybe the days were beginning to blend together. You didn't know if it was day or night. It just rained and rained and rained and animals and smell and just not knowing what's going on and knowing what's going on outside that no one's left. But, you know, do you think that maybe once they had that thought, you know, did God forget us? You know, there's nothing left. We're all alone on this boat, Dad. <laughs> what's going on? You know, I, I know that they knew God was with them in a sense because he had to build a boat and they were there. I mean, animals and food, so obviously there was some reason for them to be there. God, you know, Noah wasn't just losing his mind, you know, there was a flood. But man, I bet you they felt that, you know, and I, I have to wonder that they felt like that because I know that I felt like that. 
You know, and I wonder if you guys have felt like that. I'm sure you have. We all have, I believe. If you haven't, I'm sure you will at some point. Um, you feel like God has forgotten you. You know, the circumstance in your life, maybe in a relationship or a job or a prayer request for somebody. You know, maybe you're praying for somebody. It just seems like God's forgotten. Or maybe God's given you a promise and you haven't seen it come to pass yet. You know, maybe you feel all alone in it. Did I really hear God? Is this really what God said to me? But I know from experience, but even more that I know from what the scripture says, that he hasn't and he won't ever. You know, Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, and he is the one who goes with you. But it says here, the last part, he will never leave you nor forsake you. And the writer of Hebrews quotes that in Hebrews 13.5. But you think about Abraham and Sarah. God promised them, and they waited. They didn't wait long enough, and they kind of did their own thing, but God still kept the promise to them. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. And then, what's his ministry? 40 more years in the wilderness. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, but he was waiting. I wonder if, you know, when he walked up to that burning bush, he probably thought, that's it. You know, there was, he had long given it up, I think. The Israelites in wilderness wandering, Joseph in prison, if you remember, when he interpreted the dream of the Pharaoh's servants, and one of them was killed, the other one uh, was found innocent. And the was like, hey, remember me. And it says a couple years went by. You know, they forgot about him, you know. I have a feeling Joseph, you know, it doesn't say anything that Joseph ever sinned. He's this picture of a guy that I'll never be, you know, in the scripture. But I'm sure that, you know, if he's seeking out for these other guys to remember him, maybe he's starting to feel like maybe God forgot him. I'm not saying that he did. I'm starting to wonder. You know, Joseph at least felt forgotten by people. You know, Peter, after the crucifixion is denied, he goes back fishing. He probably like, God doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. And then what happens? He sees Jesus at the shore, and he jumps out to him, and Jesus reminds him, hey, Peter, you love me, feed my sheep. You know, I know that there's been times in my life that I felt forgotten by different people, relationships, or uh, situations, or where's my tax return? Have they forgotten about me? <laughs> um, they haven't. <laughs> um, I felt maybe helpless or hopeless or alone, but God never left me. In fact, I felt like in some of those instances, I felt closer to God than I ever did when I felt like he was there all the time. You know, I can remember certain instances where you know, I just knew he was there, and even no one else was. You know, there's that cheesy, like, painting picture of footprints in the sand. You know, like, God, where were you? I was carrying you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's cheesy, but it's, it's true. Um, I think today we'll see that uh, God did remember Noah. Uh, so let's, uh, again, go to God in prayer, and we'll read the first few verses here together. But God, we love you. God, only because you first loved us, God, that we'll see here, God, our imaginations are evil even from our childhood. God, as cuteness and kids are in a way, they still sin. And, uh, but God, you're gracious for that. And you know our hearts and our frame. And, and you don't forget us. You never turn from us in a way that uh, would totally give up hope on us, God. We thank you for that. So God, let us put our hope in you this morning. Renew our hope and our strength in your word. And feed us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis chapter 8. And we'll read the first five verses. It says, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the three, uh, I'm sorry, at the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month, 
In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountain were seen. We'll stop there. It says that God remembered Noah. Then God remembered Noah. You know, we went through 150 days of the worst storm imaginable. You know, I'm not saying that it was necessarily hurricane winds, but there was rain, there was water, there was clouds, there was darkness, there was destruction. You know, I heard recently that Puerto Rico, you know, the hurricane came through, you know, one of the many we've had this year, um, could be without power for an entire year. Can you imagine that? An island, province, almost like a little nation, without power for a year. No lights, no refrigerators, no air conditioning, no water pumps, no television, no charging your phone. Maybe they get gas. Maybe they can fix stuff. No, like power tools. I mean, everyone's going to be running off a generator at some point. Maybe they'll restore power here and there. But, you know, when there's a disaster in America, power trucks and companies that aren't hit by a disaster go there. But how do you get there? You know, how do you get there? Um, limited gas, food and supplies, everything's damaged. You know, people are, are going to die there. I think we need to pray for them and remember them. Um, if not, do something else. But it says here that God remembered. Uh, needs to recall or brought to mind or mention or record. You know, um, Numbers 23, 19 says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. We all know this verse. Um, you know, has he said and he will not do, or has he spoken and he will not make it good? You know, Psalm 121, 3 and 4 says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. And he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. I'm not, I don't think God forgot them. I don't think it was God remembered them in a the sense of, Oh, I left the, the water on, you know. But God is not a man that he would forget. Um, but he remembered them. It was time for God to work uh, specifically on their behalf again. I meant to bring it this morning, but I have a patch from uh, one of the patches of the Israeli Defense Forces. And it's a picture of a line. It's got English and Hebrew. And it's this psalm verse that says, uh, you know, the, the keeper of Israel never sleeps nor slumbers. That the one who guards over Israel is never asleep on watch. He's always guarding them. And that's their job as well. God, yeah. Um, but again, God didn't forget. It wasn't like Kevin's parents in Home Alone on the plane going, Kevin! You know, God wasn't up in heaven and went, Noah! <laughs> oh no! Is he okay? You know? I think sometimes we think that. I think sometimes we honestly think God and his omniscience has somehow forgotten us. That's impossible. But I think through the tragedy and the judgment of wiping out everything, maybe it seemed as if God's focus was on somewhere else was on the flood, you know, like God turned his back on Jesus for a season uh, on the cross. He said, you know, why have you forsaken me to turn from sin there? But I think if we zoom out a little bit and we look at all this water covering the, the you know, I think our planet's a blue planet now, a blue planet then, but on top of the water, this little boat floating, I don't think they were ever out of God's eye. I'm just like Israel has never been out of God's eye. It says the apple of his eye. I'm just like we're never out of his eye. Um, but it was a boat full of life, and I don't think God's going to forget his little lifeboat that he's got out there. Um, you know, but I think maybe from their perspective, they might have felt forgotten. You know, I, I'm sure Noah's faith remained, like I said before, but like because they did have a boat and they were safe. But man, I don't know how you couldn't feel forgotten at that point after you know 150 days. Um, but now it was time, in a sense, for God's focus to be about restoring the earth. His focus was on judging the earth and preserving them. But now it's time for God's focus to shift in the sense that, you know, God can't focus like we could. Um, but it began with remembering Noah. It began remembering with that guy who God's grace fell upon, that Noah brought uh, pleasure to God in a sense, because uh, he looked to God. And it says that God made a wind. You know, you think about um, David and his forces, they waited for the wind in the trees before they went out. God said to wait uh, until the day of Pentecost. Uh, 
for the Holy Spirit to come, and then they went out. And the work of God always begins with the wind. It begins with the wind of the Holy Spirit. That judgment may come, but the Holy Spirit's going to come and move, begin to move us believers, and we're going to follow him and go with him. And he's going to go out and begin to restore things and fix things and, uh, and uh, you know, be God, bring life for there was one death. Um, but I said God made a win. You know, uh, now we have the rotation of the earth. We have the ice caps. We have the heating of the atmosphere, position of the earth, and the focus of the, the sunlight. Um, cool things there. We have wind patterns now. But these things weren't there then, you know. They were there in a sense, but because of everything that's covered in water and the atmosphere is changing, these things began to take form and take shape there, I believe. Um, you know, you think of sometimes in the springtime winds, you know, when the winter's either coming or going, all these winds begin to blow. The jet streams begin to shift and the weather patterns begin to change. And the same thing. Uh, was here, you know, sometimes you have that first chilly day in the fall uh, before, uh, in the summer, and you know, fall's here, like, oh, this is the taste of fall to come. But it says that the fountains of the deep were stopped, that the windows of heaven were stopped, and that the rain from heaven was restrained. And I get the impression here that there could have been more, that there was more water to be, there's more rain to come. Um, you know, I wasn't there, and I'm not measuring it, but I just get the sense that at this point, God said, this is enough. This is enough, you know. Um, in John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. You know, Jesus' bones were broken. That didn't need to happen. But everything else was taken care of. Everything else was accomplished. That this was enough to deal with sin. And the same way here, that God said, this is enough. Um, you know, that even then, he's like, God's not, God's not one to overstep judgment or overstep discipline. God takes it just as far as it needs to go. And in this case, it needed to go completely full. But he still... Uh, you know, you, it says to be angry and not sin. You know, there's this time when it's like we need to dis discipline our children. So we're angry over what they did, but not to discipline them out of that anger. To try and collect yourself, and, you know, before you discipline them because you don't want to punish them more than they deserve, so to speak. I think that's the same thing here. God said that's enough. It's been taken care of. Um, you know, God's wrath was satisfied, and I believe it was time for His mercy and faithfulness to be shown even more to Noah and to his family and creation. It's time for wrath to be over and uh, uh, restoration to begin. You know, at the end of the 150 days, the water level started going down. At, up to this point, it kept going up, and now it starts to go back down. And I have to ask, you know, what were you doing on May 18th, 2017? Because as of today, October 15th, that was 150 days ago. So that's how long that this was going on. And apparently, I was getting a haircut, so says my calendar. I was running errands. <laughs> Me would go to the dentist the next day. Uh, I got the civic expected a couple days before, and the pastor's conference was in a few days. Um, but I can't imagine it raining and being flooded. You know, it rained for 40 days and nights, but I, it, that was it. You know, that I can't imagine being stuck in a boat for that long. You know, I, I work from home now, and it's like, I just need to get out sometimes. I can't imagine being stuck in the basement for 150 days. But you think about, you know, think about reality of like a nuclear war or something like that. You know, and you think about, you know, we were looking at the fallout stuff. And, curiosity a while ago. It's like, well, you have to stay in this corner of the room for this many weeks, and then you can start going outside, and it's like, be able to survive the fallout patterns. Um, it's crazy. Think about uh, Especially all this stuff that the government gave the people in the 60s to teach them. Uh, but they're going through that again. Uh, Hawaii, California, Japan, they're going through these things again for fear of North Korea. Uh, but I can't imagine, you know, like, prayer for that will never happen. But it was the 600th year, the second month, and the 17th day around May for us when this started, and now it's the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, which is uh, September, October. It's actually Tishri um, in their calendar. It's, it's the civil new year for, the, for Israel, 
It was plowing of all of harvest. The first is New Year, the tenth is atonement, and the fifteenth to twenty-one is tabernacles. And we won't get into that study, but I think there's something interesting there. That that's not by accident. That God lines up all these things and uses Moses to write the scripture, who had been given the law and had formulated the calendar, and God uses the calendar to speak to them of redemption. But it's interesting that the floods ended on New Year, that there was time for atonement to be made, that they, they dwelt in these tabernacles to remember uh, Israel and the wandering, just like Noah and his family lived in this boat as they floated. I think that's interesting, and that's not by accident. God doesn't do anything by accident. You know, uh, it's interesting how these things line up. Uh, but the ark rested on top of Mount Ararat, and that's possibly modern-day Turkey. You know, I think it was in the 80s or 70s or 80s, they began to think that they found remnants of the ark there. People have tried to look there and look at satellite photos, but the government let them in. And whether it is or it isn't, it would be interesting. Uh, but it's still kind of neat to think about. But it says that the ark rested. And I think that it probably felt like a huge relief to not be on a moving boat anymore. I don't know if you've ever been on like a road trip and like maybe you got a flat tire or there's something wrong with the car and you just want to get home, the check engine lights on, you're like, am I going to get home? Am I going to get home? Am I going to get home? And you get your driver like, ah, like, you know, I made it. You know, I think that's a huge relief to be in this boat. It's moving, it's swaying, it's raining, months and months and months, and all of a sudden, you know, it's not moving anymore. You know, you're still moving maybe, you know, but the, the boat's not moving anymore. Um, it was a stationary place. And I think, you know, even if it was just on a little rock sitting out of the water, kind of like, you know, you think in the children's cartoons, kind of right on the peak there, um, you know, precariously up there, that, that would still be a relief. Like, ah, there's something that's not water. Um, I don't know if you're ready to eat the same thing over and over and over again. I'll take it. Whatever it is, it's different. I'll take it. Um, but it would still be two and a half more months. So I think the boat lands, still be two and a half more months almost uh, before it's all over. And that would be like Christmas for us. You know, I, kids and I were walking out to get the mail the other day, I mentioned something about Christmas coming, and they started screaming like it was coming this week. And I was like, no, 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 it's only a couple minutes, you know, a couple months left. Uh, but more mountaintops would be seen. And it's interesting here that I think that as this begins to happen, as the winds of God begin to blow, begin to let the waters recede, that more of the future for Noah and his family begins coming into view. They begin to see little mountaintops peek up out of the water. And I think sometimes for us it takes a long time to find rest. It takes a long time for the storm that we're in to, be, to end, for it to feel like God remembers you and me and our petitions to him. But know that he always will. And as he does, you'll begin to get a glimpse of what is next. You see those little mountaintops begin to peek up out of the floodwaters in your life. And what his promises and their fulfillment begin to look like. You don't really know what it looks like yet, and yeah, it's just a little rock. Uh, but like Elijah, seeing that little cloud forming, rain was coming. But we need to keep faith that God will remember you until then and through then. You know, Hebrews 11 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, uh, Ash and I have been going through a season the past couple of years with the Lord, and I feel like the Lord has, has shown us that that season is coming to an end. And, uh, you know, it's been like a relief, but he's been with us through there. And it's like, all right, I don't know what the next season's going to look like, but I know that we're coming up to a new season, and that's, uh, you know, I think it's interesting how God works these things as we go through Scripture together and in our own lives. There's always, there's always something that God wants to minister to us about. Well, let's go on. Let's go into verse 6, and we'll read through 14. It says, verse 6, So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove, 
deceived, the waters have receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were of the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her, and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundred and first year, and the first month, and the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dried. So it keeps going here, it keeps going here. But we see in the beginning, I think in a way, it was time to let some fresh air in. That wind of God is blowing, it's probably pretty stagnant in the boat. Let's open up the window a little bit. And, you know, God didn't tell Noah to do any of this. God didn't say, Noah, send out a raven. Noah, send out a dove. Um, but Noah still knew it was time to start being active. The boat had come to a rest. It seems like the flood's going down a little bit. We don't know much about what's going on out there, but... Man, it's about time we start uh, seeking a little bit, seeking what God is doing out there. And I think that it's our responsibility, in fact, I know it's our responsibility to seek God for the answers to his promises, to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, and to keep believing in the answers to his promise. Not to make it happen in our own accord, like Abraham and Sarah thought they had to, but to keep asking, seeking, and knocking, to do the practical work, to wait, to look for the times I think sometimes that just means getting some fresh air spiritually. You know, I think for myself sometimes it's, oh, I'll go visit a French church and just, I don't need to do anything there. I don't need to think about anything there. Maybe no one knows me there. But, you know, like, I'll get to go out and uh, hear a fresh word from the Lord. You know, where I know that it's impossible for me to be thinking it because I don't even know what they're going to be studying about. Or maybe it's going to a conference or a retreat to get away and get some fresh air spiritually. Maybe it's just getting outside and going for a walk. Spending some time with the Lord. Or maybe it's going away. Maybe it's getting on a plane and going somewhere that you think God might be having you go. Say, God, what are you saying? Am I just crazy for doing this? Or do you really have something for us? But whatever it is, even if you do end up just being crazy in your thoughts and intents, God will still speak to you. He'll still minister to you. And I think that there's a lot that we can look into uh, when it comes to considering ravens and doves about their behavior, their significance, birds as, birds as sin in the scripture. Um, versus the Holy Spirit. But I think today, you know, we don't need to worry about that so much, you know, as opposed to the wind of God is moving. Let's, let's, wind of God is moving, let's use an animal that's capable of flying to use these winds to their advantage. You know, in 1 Kings 17, Elijah was fed by ravens from the brook. You see, ravens as a picture of sin. Does that mean God was feeding Elijah sin? No, he was using animals to reach him where he was. And uh, I think that, in a sense, God, Noah was using these animals to maybe see what is God doing? Maybe what is God doing to see out there? You know, a lot of times my kids will say stuff, and I'll listen, and I'll wonder, is, is this going to be God speaking through them when they ask a question, when they say something? And sometimes it's totally not. <laughs> sometimes I think it might be. But the raven was ready to go. He kept flying around from mountaintop to mountaintop, back and forth, maybe to the boat and back and forth. Uh, you know, but it's a raven. You know, they, they, they stick around trees, they caw, they look at trash, you know. Uh, maybe not the friendliest of birds. I always thought they were cool growing up. But Noah does this, and then it says that Noah sent out from himself a dove. Maybe it was his pet dove, his little, you know, over the time, this little dove came to him. You know, I think of when my dog Jesse had puppies, the little rent of the litter was my little favorite. Um, you know, maybe the raven, I think, maybe that was everyone's idea. Hey, Noah, Dad, get 
get a raven, send it out, see what it does. It's a big bird. It'll fly in the wind. Uh, let's, see, let's see what happens. Um, but I think for Noah, he did that. But I think for himself, he wanted to send out a personal test. And not necessarily to test the Lord, but personally to seek the Lord. Hey, this is my, this is my dove. You know, God, would you, would you show me something? Would you speak to me today? Just for himself, maybe, his personal time with the Lord. And I think that's important that we have that dove in our own lives. Obviously, the dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit. But I think that we have to have that personal relationship with the Lord. Even when we're part of a larger seeking, like a church, a raven going to and fro, we need to have that personal walk with the Lord, that personal call of God to say, God, how are you going to fill this promise in my life? You know, I was talking with a friend yesterday, an older brother in the Lord, and he was just sharing with me how God had laid things on his heart through scripture and began to get involved in a different ministry. And then he had to lay down other ministries. But he said that this is, he just knew that this is where God was in him. And it's like, we need to be concerned about where God would have each of us, no matter what it looks like. And we're not going to find that with the raven. We're only going to find that when we send out the dove. And we're going to find that this is actually the more important bird. The dove is the one that brings the news of peace. The crow may have liked the top of the mountain. The crow maybe, you know, was doing his own thing. But I think the dove was more sensible because the dove couldn't find a suitable place for life for quite some time. And the other rain was just happy wherever it landed. Um, you know, you think of carrier pigeons or people in the city who train their birds. Noah's got his bird. But again, we, need, we can't be settled with just whatever the church is doing, so to speak, or whatever other people are doing in their faith. We need to be, well, what does God have us do in our faith? And not to discount the effectiveness of, of the raven or how it worked and it was sort of the first thing to go out. But our personal relationship is the one that really matters. It's the one that's really going to be able to carry us through and really answer our faith. Because if I share something or your pastor shares something or your friend shares something with you, it may mean something. But at the end of the day, it's when God himself speaks to you. When God himself gives you an answer to your prayer, and answer that question in your heart, it's settled. When you seek other people for answers, it may be good, and maybe you believe it to be true, but it doesn't really sink home and take effect like directly from the mouth of God. And I think that that's the difference between the masses and the closest disciples. You know, again, Noah drew it into himself. Maybe he was playing close to the chest. Maybe others didn't know about the dove. I don't know yet. But the masses were satisfied with things from a distance. Signs, wonders, and bread. You know, he said, you follow me just for these things. Um, and they ended up leaving at one point when he began to share deeper things with them about communion. But the closest disciples were satisfied with nothing less than being close to Jesus. To hearing his heartbeat like John on his chest or getting the insights on what he was teaching. When After he would share the parables, the disciples would go there like, Jesus, what did you mean by that? And he would begin to share with them. You know, again, maybe, his, maybe Noah's family was satisfied with the raving flying about. And I don't know that for a fact. I'm really just, you know, summarizing on this, um, or opinionating, whatever you want to call it. But Noah wasn't. Noah wasn't satisfied with that. He said, I need to have a more personal word from the Lord on this. You know, I don't believe it's a fleece. Let it be wet and the ground dry and let the ground be wet and the fleece, you know, so to speak. I believe it was just Noah just continuing to be Noah, continuing to seek God even in his everyday ways as much as he could from within this little boat and through this little porthole assume he had open there. I think this, this needs to be us, seeking God for God, even when we can't see outside. Not looking for his signs and wonders that come flooding through the window, but when he does give us his word and his promise that we keep knocking, we keep sending that dove out, so to speak, we keep seeking until our faith is answered and we see his promise uh, fulfilled.
But it says here that the waters were on the face of the whole earth. That the surface was still covered. The place you wanted to go hang out was probably still full of water. And then only the, the rough mountaintops uh, were open. You know, I was looking to mow the lawn last week, and it was raining on the, the day, or kind of misting on the day, and I kept going outside and looking outside. And it was like 4.30, and my wife actually asked me if I was going to go mow the lawn or not. I was like, no, I don't think so. And then I looked outside, and I saw sun peeking through the trees. I'm like, oh, I'm probably going to go do it. You know? Um, I think that was sort of no. I kept looking and kept saying, can I, can I go out and do this? Um, but if he waits another week, I think that's patience and persistence. It wasn't every day he said anything about it. He said, all right, it's good enough to get me through this week. Let's see what next break brings. You know, no one knew that it would take time. And just like I think a clogged sink takes a while to drain. You know, if you go get drain out, I think, imagine the whole earth kind of drains. It's going to take a little while. Um, but the dove came back in in the evening when he sent out it again with an olive leaf. They sent out in the morning, and this time it was out for longer. I went out and got the olive leaf and came back. You know, we see that as an international sign of peace these days, a dove with an olive leaf. But it's also a sign uh, and proof and evidence that things were starting to bud and grow, that they quickly began to grow up and, uh, you know, within these couple of months and a couple of weeks. And again, I think Noah could probably only see the mountains, you know, but maybe not know what was beyond them. He was up at the mountain. He didn't really know what was beyond the other peaks, what was in the valley. You know, was the flood still there? You know, I'd be pretty scared. You know, you're in this boat for this whole time. The flood goes down. You're like, do I get out? Like, can I get out? Is there going to be a wave? Like, What's a, you know, what's going to happen? Um, I wouldn't want to go outside and knew it was safe. Um, you know, and again, because I think Noah knew that it was going to flood, but he didn't know what the end of it was going to look like. All God said was build a boat and get in it. So he did. So he's not getting out yet. He doesn't know what it's going to be like yet. But I think in the same way, God promises us things, but we don't always know how they're going to play out uh, or what exactly it's going to look like. I mean, we read Revelation... We know what the end times are going to look like, so to speak, spiritually, but we don't know exactly what is this nation going to be, or what is this event going to happen, or, you know, we get a picture of heaven, but we don't really yet know it yet, personally. Um, we haven't yet seen it yet. I remember when I was little, my brother would tell me about his apartment, and I was going to go visit him, and I had this picture in my mind of what it looked like when he described it, and I got there, it was like totally different. I think that's the same sort of thing. Uh, but Noah waits another week again, um, you know, maybe Sabbath to Sabbath, maybe he's going week to week. But he sends out this dove, and this time the dove doesn't return. And no one knows that it's okay now. You know, the raven didn't <laughs> kill the dove, but the dove is, is okay. The dove found a good place to live, and that was it. Um, but it was the 601st year, Nisan, the first day. That would be mid-March for us, the first new day of spring, so to speak. Um, and no, it says that Noah removed the covering of the ark, the top of the ark. And this word covering, it's also used in scripture for the skins of the tabernacle find that very interesting, that the covering of the ark is also very similar to the covering of the tabernacle. You know, Noah had a drove a convertible, and he put the convertible top down, so to speak. Mia, um, why don't you sit down, sweetheart? Grab it, you can grab it to your hand. <clears throat> okay, when mommy comes back, she'll let you, okay? But uh, it says, I'm, maybe, you know, like I said, he's thinking about a porthole. You know, maybe he took the store windows off his house, he opened up the screen doors, goes outside like this, you know, it's still March outside, so it's still kind of cold, like we would think in winter, but you begin to open these things up in hope of spring. Uh, but it was almost two months, you know, it was still dry, excuse me, it was still dry, but he still didn't go out yet. The dove didn't come back, but he didn't go out yet. And I think with that, even when things look like it's time, even when we think they're ready, 
We still must wait for God to speak to us before getting out, before stepping out. Um, you know, it was almost two whole months later, the second day, the 27th, I'm sorry, the second month, the 27th day. And this is the first month, the first day. You know, it's going to be a while yet before Noah gets out of the boat. And I think sometimes it's going to look like it's time, but we need to wait. It might just be a little while longer for things to be perfect to set in place in order. You know, I believe that we were supposed to come back to New York, but maybe we came back a little early. We were in a bad situation, and we wanted to get out of it. And, you know, just it was a whole mess for a couple of months. Even when we came back, the place we are in wasn't ready. Um, and we found a place two months later. I have to wonder, you know, if we just put up with it a little bit longer and did this and that, would have been a little bit better situation. I mean, I'm not going to dwell on that because it's over, but I have to wonder, you know, maybe if I just put up with it a little bit longer. But on the other hand, I didn't want to leave my family in that situation, so it, was, it is what it is. But God provided for us nonetheless. What I'm saying is, is when God promises us something, we can't rush into it. We have to let him do it. It's his promise, and he's going to fulfill it. We just get to uh, receive it and walk in. But the earth was now dry. You know, water was where it was supposed to be, and the ground was ready to be traveled again and hounded again. And in verse 15, it says, uh, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing, that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wives, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. We'll stop there for now. It says, Then God speaks to Noah. You know, now and only now is it time for Noah to get out of the ark. You know, God had told Noah to build the ark basically 121 years earlier. God then told him that the flood would begin. God told them when to get on, and God was the one to shut the door. But now it's also God who tells them to get out. It wasn't upon Noah to figure out when to get out, where the boat would land. He didn't lay anchor. God laid the anchor on the mountain. But now it was time for God to get out. And I think about when we're on road trips and, you know, the quintessential, are we there yet? You know, our kids didn't really ask that so much. They asked pretty much how much time is left. And we tell them, and they're like, oh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. That's not too long. <laughs> Like, 10 hours is a long, that's okay. <laughs> that's the same thing, you know? And we need to wait for God's timing on these things and God to speak to us. Uh, but it says that his family went out first and then to bring the animals out. And I think about when we moved, I had to go on exploratory trips first because it's just too much to bring the family uh, until it's time. But God had them go out, and he says, so that they may abound, and it's time to repopulate. You know, be fruitful and multiply. God, again, reiterates what he said in Genesis and creation about be fruitful, multiply to the animals. You know, he brought the judgment on them, but he's reiterating this promise and this command of them. This is what I have for you. Be fruitful, multiply, go out, go out. Judgment was over. And when judgment's over, it's always time to be fruitful. But that's your life. Maybe you've sinned, maybe you've fallen short, and there's had to be a time of judgment in your life from the Lord. Know that when that's over, God desires fruit to come out of your life. Even if there hasn't been a sin, God says that um, he prunes uh, the plants that are doing well, that they might do even better. That when we're growing, we're always going to have all these offshoots, but he'll prune us to get us back in the right place, though. He might bear even more fruit. And that's what God wants here. He wants the world to be fruitful, and he doesn't want it to remain uh, barren, some moonscape. But with that, wilderness seasons will end in time. And when they do, I believe it's time for us to be fruitful and multiply them. That's the time to start being fruitful. There's a time to be sorrowful, there's also a time to be rejoicing. When those times are over, it's time to go on. You know, when winter's over, it's time to, to do spring again. 
Now it's time for me to take off the plow off the front of the lawnmower and put the lawnmower back on it. Now it's almost time for me to put the plow back on it again. Uh, but I think I'm going to spring the 20 bucks or whatever it is to have somebody plow my lawnmower. But uh, get too old for this. Oh, yeah, it's put more than that, right? Like 120, right? Uh, but it says that uh, Noah again obeys. And I don't know if they were a little more eager, eager to get out of the boat than they were to get in the boat. I believe, you know, it's kind of like it's different motivations, uh, uh, different pressures, different emotions at that time. And I think sometimes that's us in life, right? Like, we have all this motivation to get married, and then we get married, and then it's like, we have all this motivation to have kids, and then you're like, oh, I, I'm really motivated to take a nap now, like I was before. <laughs> you know, you got different motivations. Um, but again, I, I like what it says here. It says, according to their families. And again, I think this is a reminder of both animals creeping after their kind, only that, but also in the ark that there were babies born. That male and female animals were on the boat, and in the course of that year and time, I'm sure that there were little babies born. Um, you know, it says they went out, they came in two by two, a male and his female, and it says they go out by their families. And I think that in that, the wilderness time is time for personal growth, time for family growth, that we may go out into the new world, so to speak, on the other side, ready to be healthily multiplied and abound. You know, I think of Job, you know, he had to lose his whole family. He had to go through this awful season. But what does God do on, on the other side of that? He gives them twice as much. He gives them twice the kids. You know, not twice the wives, maybe, but twice the possessions. That his life was even more of a picture of God after the wilderness season for him. Um, you know, the ark's purpose was, had been fulfilled. You know, it provided shelter and protection for a season. You know, it was their home for a season. But not anymore. It was no longer needed. They can take it apart now. They could use it to build other things. They could use it, as we see, to, uh, uh, in a minute for other things. But it was time to go out. And I think we need to be careful about not staying in when we should be going out. I don't necessarily mean that like, oh, we should go out tonight. And, oh, let's just stay in instead. I mean, like, when, when God begins to move you out of a season, don't try and stay back in that season. When God wants to move you out of your comfort zone, don't stay back in that comfort zone. Because he'll keep knocking on your heart. Um, you know, I remember being in the sound booth doing stuff, and God was telling me it's time to get out from behind the booth. I'm like, no, Lord, I don't have to talk to you back here. I can make your knees. <laughs> you know, but God kept, I couldn't escape it. I just knew it was time. Um, but also, I think we, we can't stay dependent on people, on places or things or provision when their time is up. Um, it's time to, to grow up and get out and get the job and get your own place. It's time to, you know, not my kids. They can stay with me forever. But, uh, <laughs> but Jacob needs a good job. But, uh, <laughs> hi guys, love you. <laughs> um, oh, I love you, but you and me are going to be something later. Yeah, cool. Show me, show me a little bit. We're almost done. But when the season is over for us, I believe God is going to direct us to go out. But if we stay back, it's not just we're going to miss out on what God has for us, but the things we have are going to begin to deteriorate. Imagine they stayed on that boat. Gonna probably going to begin to deteriorate. God's blessing is not going to be on anymore. When, the, when they wandered in the wilderness, it says that their shoes stayed with them. You know, they didn't fall apart. But I can attest that there's been times in my life I've hung on to things I shouldn't have hung on to, and they begin to control me, and a bit. spiritual life begins to fall apart, or they begin to fall apart. Um, you know, that's why I can't hang on to my teeth anymore, because I just got to let them fall apart. And I've got a new season coming, I guess, when I'm older. Uh, but I remember this movie I used to watch about these guys in college, and they all like, graduate, and they're done, and they all live in a house together, and then they're like, well, why don't we just keep living here? You know, we had so much fun. And then they try and do it for another year, and their relationships change, their jobs change, and everything begins to change, and it doesn't have the same thing anymore. And they realize at the end, you know what? 
it was right for us to leave and then go out. It's, it's not a good movie by any stretch of imagination, so I wouldn't recommend it, but I think the message in it is good, that we can't hang on to those uh, glory days. But we need to go on. And I think a lot of times in church we do that. We hang on to old glory or even our own personal lives. Oh, ten years ago I did this ministry. But what are you doing now? You know, like that's good. And that's great. And that's a good foundation. And that's a good legacy. But what's the legacy for tomorrow? What's going on today? Um, you know, because those things are going to wear out and we're going to wear out. And it's really not the life God has for us. Let's see what that life is. Uh, verse 22, we're going to close out the chapter here. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, uh, maybe you're smelling a soothing aroma because it's almost lunchtime. Uh, but the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the ground, uh, um, I'm sorry, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I've done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. You know, what's the first thing that Noah does when God says go out of the ark? He goes, look for a quick check and get a sandwich. No, he doesn't pack the camel. He builds an altar. He finds some stones. Maybe rips apart. I'm sure there's no trees really around yet. You know, at least big enough to make wood. Maybe he begins to rip the, the ark apart. And that tar and that pitch, I'm sure, would make for a really good fire. He begins to put it on there. Uh, you know, it's like uh, accelerant or what's that stuff? Uh, fire. What do you call it? Kindling, but what's the liquid? The, oh. You know, you put a, like, well, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Lighter fluid. Lighter fluid, exactly. So he's got all the light, and they're soaked in lighter fluid, so to speak. Um, but it's, he built an altar. His first act of leaving the ark, he gets out of the boat. And he builds an altar. You know, in David, when they bring the Ark of the Covenant, they would stop every so often and build an altar and worship God and keep going and keep going in that way. Um, you know, he didn't build a house. He built an altar for the Lord. Just like David's heart was, man, I need to build a house for the Lord. God says, no, no, no. I'm going to build a house for you. And I think here we see that as God remembered Noah, Noah remembered God. Isn't it that when... We start to seek to God. Isn't it really that God has begun to seek us? And we're just responding to it. You know, God told, told Noah to take seven of a very clean animal. And Noah remembered that. And Noah begins to sacrifice one of each, it says. So he had, you know, some of the animals were like, we're getting out of here. <laughs> you know, what's he doing? <laughs> but he uh, began to, to sacrifice. And it says that the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And remember when God looked over the whole earth and it was Noah. You know, here again. I believe, in a sense, uh, Noah was, God comforted Noah through this, and Noah begins, if possible, uh, hear me on this one, to comfort God. God smells a soothing aroma. You know, God had just, what does he smell? He smells death, smells destruction, smells the whole world. There's no, not that the repairs going on really beforehand, that's why the world was destroyed, but there's nothing there. And, and, you know, it wasn't, it didn't please God to judge the earth. A lot of people think, oh God, in the Old Testament, this is not a judgment. Like he enjoyed it. God didn't enjoy it. It grieved his heart that he had to do it. But he still did it. You know, it's like, it grieves my heart when I have to discipline my children. But you know what the soothing aroma is? Afterwards, say, Daddy, I love you. I'm sorry. And there's laughter and joy. You know, it's like, it soothes me. Because the judgment had its proper effect. But God had brought judgment because man had willfully turned to him from evil. You know, there was no joy in that for him. But there's now time for joy, in a sense, for the Lord again. 
uh, in Noah and in people turning in. You know, I think Noah could have done anything. You know, God didn't say, leave the ark, go build me a temple, Noah, go build me an altar. Noah did it out of his own free will. It was his free will offering, Lord. Man, like the first fruits, God, I'm not letting anything go further. I want to give you the first fruits here. And he knew the important thing. Noah knew what was most important. Not building a shelter, not, you know, like they tell you when you're lost in the wilderness, the first things you want to do is build a fire and find shelter and stuff. Uh, but he knew the important thing. You know, I think that's what we need to do. When we go out, we always must worship first. When a new season begins, we should have been worshiping through the tough season, and when a new season starts, we need to start it with the worship and altar worship. We must always go out. Your day needs to start it with some type of worship or devotional. I mean, we all know what it's like to, to do that and to not do that, I believe. But we see that in the picture of Scripture with baptism. You get saved. What's the first act? Baptism. It's an act of worship. I've died with you, Jesus, and I've come back with you, and I identify with you, and it's an act of worship with him. Um, because I think if we don't, if we don't build that altar first in the new season, or in that time of the Lord, or in the beginning of the day, or whatever it is, um, if we don't worship at the doorstep to the promised land, I think we're going to end up wandering the promised land as well. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness, but they began to do things right once they got to the promised land, at least for a little while. You know, they began to obey God. But the minute we don't do that, we begin to go out in our own strength, and it's all throughout Scripture, we wander, and we, we fail, and we fall. But here we see, we don't see God giving Noah the promise. That's the next chapter. We see God talking with God, saying, I'm never going to do this again. Just like we see in the beginning, God created everything. We see God uh, saying it's not good, and, and Adam, God seeing that judgment needs to come. Um, and here we see God doing that himself. He says um, that even though man is sinful and the imagination is hard, even from childhood, um, you know, we seem to think that children are these perfect things. They are wonderful. They're innocent in a way. They don't, you know, they don't grasp it in the same way. Um, but they're still sitting there. They still say no. They still do bad things. Um, you know, again, it, it's, it's different than an adult. It's not the same way. You know, I believe that if a child dies before that age, that they go to heaven. You know, we see a picture of that in Scripture with David as a child. But, um, you know, God says, even though they are that way, even though that the flood didn't really solve the problem of sin, because sin is in the heart of man, it's not on the surface of the earth, it's not your environment, it's your heart, it's not your upbringing, it's you, it's not your income, it's you. You know, that sin is always an issue. God says, I haven't fixed the sin issue. I've cleansed the earth, given them another shot, and I know I haven't dealt with it yet, but I'm still going to send my son but he says, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to flood the whole earth again. Yeah, he's going to burn it, as we see in Revelation. But I'm not afraid of nuclear winter. I'm not afraid of Yellowstone exploding and putting the whole world into an ice age. I'm not saying it's not going to explode. I'm saying that there are always going to be seasons. There's always going to be day and night. There's always going to be summer. There's always going to be winter. Maybe it won't always be the same exactly, but we're always going to have seasons. Unless you live in Florida and you just have hot. But that's why I don't live in Florida, because it's forsaken by God. But just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> but sincerely, I'm not afraid of these things. Because God says it's not going to happen. And when God says it is going to happen in the tribulation, God says what? We're not going to be here. So we don't need to be afraid of that. We don't need to have the same fear that Al Gore had because it doesn't matter. You know, there are, there are promises. I'm sorry, excuse me. These promises are the ones we need to worship. And even when God hasn't given us a sign like a rainbow yet, so we'll see next time. We need to worship another because if we get caught outside the promises of God, that's when we get in trouble. But if we stay within the promise of God and we worship in His presence, um, we'll have peace. 
and we'll, we'll have a home, even if we don't have a home on earth yet, even if we haven't built a house yet, we know that we have a home. And that home is, is always in God. God provided for them through the flood. God is going to provide for them after the flood. And um, I know God wants us to know that and live by that because he gave it to us a story. I'm sure there's a lot of other things he did for other people, but he gave us these stories um, for a reason. Amen? Amen. Yeah, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for leading us uh, through this flood and leading Noah through it and speaking to us in it. And God, help us to put our faith and trust in you like Noah did to build things even when it looks crazy, to gather things uh, spiritually, so to speak, uh, maybe to build that altar or that ark, even when no one else is thinking about it. And God, help us to let go of what's behind us and push forward to the future. But God, the things that you promised us in and the hard seasons that maybe we're in or I'm sure we'll all go through again. If we're not in one now, they'll come again someday. But God, help us to trust you and learn from you and to know, grow closer to you. And that is the more trying trials come that we would be firm in you and found in you and, and to like the song says to not be afraid uh, to not be afraid of the waves for you stronger than that we wouldn't falter and fall through the waves but that we in a sense dance on them and go yeah it's raining it's pouring but the old man he ain't snoring God because you don't sleep God we love you for that we thank you for that watch over us use us let us be a light to the world that more people might be saved uh, by your spirit in Jesus name Amen God bless you guys